0: welcome to the present history podcast this is the second part of our conversation about Catherine howard so make sure to go back and check out the first one if you haven't already there's also a quick little trigger warning for this episode we do touch on topics including sexual assault and abuse rape and inappropriate sexual relationships but we hope that you enjoy this episode of the present history podcast in terms of those media portrayals Mm -hmm. those the way that she has been portrayed in modern media and you you spoke about the Tudors tv show yeah yeah at the beginning and what's interesting um I read your blog post about it actually um, (laughs) what what you mentioned was that Catherine Howard is the one that appears naked Mm -hmm. on screen more than any
1: of the other wives Um, with only being in six episodes
0: which is even more impressive <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah um, um, more than any character not just the wives wow okay yeah. so i mean henry has his fair share of sex scenes in that show mm. but Catherine is still appearing fully naked more than any of the others and is very sexualized in that show i mean that was a later portrayal she's been portrayed earlier than that i mean one of the first well i mean one of the first portrayals is the private life of henry VIII, but that changes her life very much so like she's definitely portrayed not necessarily factually accurate in that one but sort of the first more factual portrayal of her was in uh let's see 1970 and that was the mini series that most people have probably at least heard of the six wives of henry VIII with keith michelle or Mitchell, as Henry VIII. And in this one, she is portrayed really, or depicted really as petty and very mean. And also highly sexualized. But in this one, her affair with Culpepper is started because she's desperate to conceive a child. And Henry cannot, I mean, it is debated amongst historians. He may have been impotent by this point and there was an expectation that she had a child so in that way there's some sympathy for Catherine in the show but in the end she's sort of a nasty character and you know you don't she's on it for a very short amount of time as she mostly is in most portrayals there's not a lot of time to really give her much screen time but that was sort of the first defining portrayal of Catherine and the next came also with Keith Mitchell. In 1972, they did sort of a movie version of the miniseries. Right. And that one was called Henry Gate and His Six Wives. <laughs> right. And in this one, it's actually one of the most sympathetic portrayals of Catherine. She's portrayed by an actress called Lynn Fredericks, which... She was also in the movie Nicholas and Alexandria about the Romanovs. So she was in a, quite a few historical movies around this time. Yeah. But in this one, she is portrayed as very young, very naive, but and pretty much manipulated into her position by her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk. And so it's it's interesting because she's not very sexualized at this point. You the affair is what she is executed for, but it's not portrayed in the movie. It's all off screen. Her early life isn't portrayed in the movie. And I mean, some people argue that the movie is written from Henry's perspective. because right. He is on his deathbed during the film. And so he wouldn't have known Catherine at those points. So the parts that are shown of her are what Henry VIII knew. Right. But it is an interesting portrayal, although because it's a movie, she is also in it for a very short amount of time. So she's barely fleshed out as a character but it's sort of the first time you see like a potential for a really sympathetic view of her but then in came the tutors yeah. <laughs> after that um there have been a few in between that but the tutors are probably the most famous i know at least in america where we don't learn about them in school that is probably one of the first contacts people have had with the tutors is this TV show. It was widely watched at the time, and she is. She's very, very sexualized in this show, but also sort of oddly portrayed as dumb and not educated, which would not have been the case. She was an aristocrat. She would have been educated. I mean, women weren't always intensely educated by this point, but, you know, she's sort of childlike to an annoying point in this show.
0: Right.
1: You know, there, there is the, the Lynn Frederick's naivety and childlike persona. That's, you know, it does make you very sympathetic. Catherine in the tutors, her childlike is just, yeah. More annoying because it's like, you should know better than this sure. right now. Like you're older. Don't act like a little spoiled nine year old. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. getting what you want. And I think one of the the worst parts is that her relationship with Thomas Culpepper is really started out of boredom or also, like, sexual dissatisfaction with Henry. Right. That he gets ill, he's not able to have sex with her, and she starts this relationship with Thomas Culpepper. So it also makes it very unsympathetic when it all falls apart. I mean, in the beginning, she's a little more tentative about starting the relationship but by the end pretty much all the characters around her like you need to stop this relationship you're gonna get us all in trouble and she's the one who you know says which apparently is from records of the time but she says to lady rochford in one of the episodes you know i know how to meddle with a man without becoming pregnant you know like she is right. this character that's like oh no no I just want to have a good time. She is that good time girl that David Starkey right. talks about in this show. And I mean you do feel sympathy for her by the end. She has this really beautiful like ballet montage which is sort of odd in the tutors.
0: Interesting? Yeah.
1: But yeah sort of like Rodgers and Hammerstein ballet. <laughs> um but it's sort of put in between the executions of Culpepper and Darum, right. which are very gory and very gross in the move in the show but she's all in white and she's dancing this beautiful ballet as her lovers are being executed Wow so that's sort of the shift all of a sudden in the show when it's like no no now we're not supposed to sympathize now we're supposed to feel really bad for her and she does have the scene with the block although she's naked in that scene well of course uh, was, yeah. you, you have to be that like, well, that was a weird yeah an <laughs> add-in where it was like uh, that th- uh, this isn't supposed to be a sexual moment yeah exactly but, um interesting choice which is just like full circle epitome of how she's portrayed in that show the, yeah even to the end when we're supposed to be sympathizing and she's we're supposed to see how terrified she is she's naked and it sort of takes you out of that of like once again we're sexualizing her in this moment you can't just sit there and feel bad for this girl like you have to be in the moment of oh yeah sexy <laughs> yeah, yeah um and yeah then she sort of well she ha- is executed in the show and she says the famous line that some people say that she said it on the scaffold that i die a queen but i would rather die the wife of culpepper we historians do not believe she actually said that yeah But the show does portray her saying it It sort of feels like the attempt to once again drive home of like this Romeo and Juliet story at the last minute, because in the midst of it, it isn't really portrayed that way. Culpepper isn't one nasty character in that show. (laughs) Mm. And so it is interesting that it sort of makes that her legacy, but it had been her legacy long before the Tudors came along. But that sort of put it into the modern perception of who she is, is Tamsin Merchant, beautiful as an actress, but the over, over over-sexualized version of Catherine Howard. Mm. And yeah, it's just, it is sort of unfortunate because she has a potential to be really complex and interesting and portray that side of her, but also give her a little more credit for being a little more intelligent and interesting as a human being not just the good time girl that you think you would meet in a high school drama yeah like it does feel at times straight out of mean girls right (laughs) the tutor scenes (laughs) with catherine howard especially her scenes with mary right those are like tutor mean girls (laughs) right there (laughs) it's, it's pretty intense And, I mean, hilarious to watch once you've seen it enough times and you're like, oh, my God, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Here's the the Mean Girls moment. But, yeah, yeah, I it's interesting. It is. It's
0: fascinating. And in terms of her relationship with Thomas Mm Culpepper, it's interesting that the portrayal of that as well. Yeah. It's it's usually portrayed, like you said, as this Romeo and Juliet or Mm -hmm. Helen and Paris kind of relationship, where, in fact, he was the one that left her for someone else early on in their relationship yes she was the one that kind of initiated it back up Mm -hmm. um and one of my favorite things uh about reading about their relationship is is some of the ways that they teased each other in their letters because he would say stuff like oh we could have had this before if you hadn't married the king Mm -hmm. Uh, and she would say oh yeah i'm giving you this gift of bracelets to remember me whenever you embrace another woman or, or something like that and it's just it's hilarious kind of dynamic but it's interesting, this portrayal, that it is yeah. this kind of dramatic tragedy kind of um, way of looking at it, whereas it might not have been truly that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do agree that it's usually portrayed very black and white in fiction that it is often either the Romeo and Juliet that, you know, they can inconveniently meet each other after her marriage to the king. Yeah. Which you know, was not the case. They had known each other. There had been talks of marriage while she was at court. But yeah, he he slept with someone else, and ruined it. God, but <laughs> <laughs> but there's either that or sort of what the Tudors does, or they try to go back and forth between the two. But you know, he in the Tudors is portrayed as a manipulative rapist, pretty much. Wow. There there is a, a rape scene in the show that is based on contemporary reports that he had raped a park keeper's wife and the king interceded to pardon him. But in the Tudors that is portrayed very much of like that's his personality and he sees the queen and he is sexually attracted to her and he wants her and that's sort of it. And you know he says in, in the show at one point, You know, when someone is saying, like, oh, that's the queen. Like, you can't think these things about her. He says, well, you know, don't tell me that you haven't imagined her without her clothes on. And it's like this very sort of, yeah, like a sexual predator is how he's sort of portrayed that Catherine is portrayed as falling in love with him in the show. He never really is. It's always about the sex and what he can get out of her. And... Even by the end, he sort of, like, throws her under the bus in the show and says, you know, she manipulated me into this relationship. I didn't want it, blah, blah, blah. As sort of an attempt to save himself, which obviously doesn't work. But it is sort of a weird, like, mix of the two that you usually get one or the other, mm. not down the middle, which is probably a little closer to what it was. I have no doubt that there was an attraction between them and, you know, that there was feelings whether that went all the way into a Romeo and Juliet or even if they consummated their relationship, we don't know and we never will. But I think it's a little, once again, in most things in Catherine's story, a little more complex than sort of the popular perception of their relationship and how it was conducted.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's that complexity that's so fascinating to me mm-hmm. as well. Cause like with the, the report of him, um, Supposedly raping the the park keeper's yeah. wife, his brother was also called Thomas Culpepper. Yes, and, and that has so... been some
1: claims that it actually wasn't the Thomas Him, Culpepper; yeah. it was a different <laughs> yeah. Thomas Culpepper. Which is such a classic Tudor problem. That yeah. They all have the same names. They're all from the same families. Exactly. So there were probably exactly. like five Thomas Culpeppers running around somewhere yeah. at the time.
0: And and Catherine's mother was a Culpepper as well. Yes. So she was distantly yes. related to, she, she to Thomas. Wasn't. And it's just the whole thing is somehow you can find a connection at some Always. point. It's,
1: a, it's... A very incestuous back then. Yes. Like they're all somehow related. And especially because the families tended to be so large. Yeah. The yeah, the likelihood of you being cousins with this guy that you're about to marry, probably very high. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wasn't a problem back yeah. then either. You didn't have to get a dispensation for that. Closer, yes. But, yeah. you know, that was sort of seen as not that closely related. Mm. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And in terms of, of the way that she was killed and mm-hmm. her, the final verdict, yeah. what she was accused of, Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned before she was accused of intention yeah. to commit adultery uh, it wasn't adultery herself that right. got got her killed um because adultery the queen having an affair wasn't actually treason no. at the time of the Tudor period <laughs> but raping a queen that was treason yes And then when Henry kind of expanded the laws out to make Mm -hmm. sure he could get rid of his wives whenever he wanted. He included the intention to commit adultery as a criminal treasonous offense.
1: And usually it was tied into, you know, uh, imagining the death of a king. Right, yeah. Whether that's through, I mean, that was tied into Anne Boleyn's, but for a queen to have an affair... It was more that they were going to destroy the lineage of the king. Yeah. Because there was a potential that you would have a child with the man that you were having an affair with. And so that was really where the treason came in, that she, Catherine, by having the intention to have an affair, would have been putting the Tudor line in jeopardy. Yeah. By the potential that she could get pregnant. Or even just not prove whose it was. <laughs> that yeah. there could always be a debate. Yeah. Yeah that it wasn't Henry's child. So it is, I mean, there were a lot of loopholes found in the process of Catherine's demise, also Anne Boleyn's. I mean, she sort of gave some of the loopholes that brought Catherine down. But, yeah, the intention Culpepper... I can say stupidly now, he may have been tortured, so you say whatever you need. He did say that he had intended to sleep with the Queen. That was enough. He yeah. had confessed that he had intended. But they also changed a lot of the time to be able to execute an insane person, because Lady Rochford, who was also, well, a cousin by marriage because she was married to Anne Boleyn's brother at the time when he was alive, but she had... Helped facilitate the relationship between Catherine Howard and Thomas Culpepper. And when she was arrested, she had a mental breakdown. And at the time, it was illegal to execute an insane person, but Henry VIII changed the law <laughs> so that you could.
0: Classic Henry VIII. Yeah, classic. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: she was also executed, and, you know, she was, well, we aren't sure. She may have been faking it to try to get out of the death penalty, but that can never be proven probably had gone insane i mean her husband and sister-in-law were executed now she's in the tower with these kinds of you know treason being held over her head i probably would go crazy too yeah. <laughs> i'd probably lose my mind absolutely. so yeah
0: absolutely so where do we go from here in terms of looking at katherine howard how should we try and shift her legacy shift her perception and change it to a kind of more nuanced, more balanced narrative somewhere in between the two. Um where where do you think we should head?
1: Yeah, I mean I do think that there should be sort of a, a better middle ground. I mean there is an attempt to do that in, in only very recent years. I mean like you've mentioned Gareth Russell's book, Young and Damned and Fair does try to sort of portray her in, in an unbiased way. He does obviously talk about the affairs that she's had because most of those are on record but he also gives her way more complexity and gives her way more depth and backstory than she often gets and so there is an attempt I think there there is the potential to go too far then into complete victim which is where we need to try to find the medium the happy medium but as is the case with most history and most legacies, like, it's really hard to change an established view on someone, especially an established view on someone who doesn't have that much records left behind. Yeah. That, you know, what what we have on Catherine is what we have, and most of it is written by others, not by her, unless something magically is found years later that... Resur- resurfaces and uncovers this new sort of way of looking at Catherine's life it's sort of like we have what we have and most of it isn't that great but so that makes it difficult as well that you're not able to produce this new letter to be like look everyone like this is what yeah. she was really like we we can't know that and I think it's you know it, it is a lot with women in history as well, that it, it turns very personal that with Catherine, you know, if you would talk about it, you know, some people, their response would just be like, Oh, I just don't like her. Mm. I just don't like her choices. And it's like, well, you didn't meet her. Like, we we actually don't know what she was like as a human being. Yeah, We don't know if we would like her or not. We just have these things that are recorded about her. And so trying to change that, from people is also very difficult especially when you know the media portrays her one way that you know maybe historians can have these debates but it's hard to bring in the general public when the only access they have is the Tudors and the six wives of Henry VIII that really don't make her look that good (laughs) and so you know there is that struggle and I I think It is important for us to start to acknowledge sort of the reality that she was a a real teenage girl. We have the benefit of hindsight to see that, you know, Culpepper was going to be, they were going to be found out. But also, you know, that Henry lived only for like three more years, three or four years after she died so, in our hindsight perspective, it's like, oh, she would have made it. Like, if she had just held out, not done the thing with Culpepper, just played it safe. But feasibly, Henry could have lived for another 10, 15, 20 years. <laughs> would have been a little difficult to imagine, but yeah. he could have. <laughs> yeah. And so, in Catherine's mind, like, this was her life for the foreseeable future yeah. with a man who was sliding farther and farther into being a tyrant and being very unpredictable in his moods. Very ill, very demanding, very paranoid. And, you know, when you try to look at it in that moment, it's a little more understandable, where you might think, well, especially if she was innocent and hadn't had sex with Culpepper, there is a sense of like, yeah, why not? Like, why not have this friendship, a genuine friendship with someone who knew her before she was queen, who liked her before she was queen. And, you know, for all we know, they would just get together to chat (laughs) about things. Like, it could have been as innocent as that. And it is understandable that she was making those choices, not knowing of the horrifying consequences that were waiting just around the corner. But she didn't know that. And, you know, I think for Catherine especially, the, the myth and sort of the legend of her has become so big that we lose the real person that she was. Mm. And that, you know, we need to start acknowledging both her faults, that she was an agent of her own fate. She did play a hand in it. She wasn't this puppet that everyone moved around the board and then abandoned her when they got caught. Like, she did make these choices. But at the same time, she shouldn't be fully condemned for them, especially today when women are largely not condemned for their sexual choices. And if Anne Boleyn is being celebrated for those choices, I think Catherine Howard should be, while not necessarily celebrated, maybe celebrated, but at least not condemned and labeled as a slut, pretty much, and sort of given the, you know, idea that she is more complex, and she had more things going for her than just that, and she did more things than just that, that should be remembered and honored, and also sort of, I think we have a tendency with history to want to sort of make it okay in our mind when something really tragic happens. Like there has to be a reason. There has to be a fault somewhere. And so I think it is really easy to look at Catherine Howard and be like, well, she sort of did it to herself. Not that most people are saying she deserved to die. I think everyone acknowledges that that's still very extreme. Yeah, But I think it's easier for us to not be fully disturbed by it if we convince ourselves that she sort of deserved what was coming to her because she made these decisions and she made these mistakes and they were stupid and she should have known better. She had the Anne Boleyn story to look to and know what could happen. You know, it is frustrating. I'm like, why did you do that? But at the same time, there isn't always a reason for why something horrible happens. And I do think Also, in in public perception, Henry VIII tends to get off a little too easily on these things also, that he was the psychopath in this, (laughs) who married a, a teenage girl in his 40s, but also was so brutal to the woman that people at the time said that was his true love, he caressed more than the others, and my god, how quickly his passion went to hatred, is also disturbing and you know that once she proved to not be his quote-unquote rose without a thorn how quickly he abandoned her and wanted to destroy her and make sure that nothing of her remained so you know remembering that as well that she was as much a victim as the agent of what happened to Mm -hmm. her in the end
0: i think that's a fascinating and very well said conclusion <laughs> to the the Catherine howard um issue but it's interesting as well with those portrayals it, it mm. kind of seems like every portrayal we get is almost a vindication of henry the eighth yeah that either she was the one that was sleeping around and henry gets off scot-free or mm-hmm. she was this victim of people that was potentially other than henry VIII. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously he was awful he was horrible but for some reason he gets out of it whereas yeah. the other ones don't and it's just a an interesting kind of thing that everything seems to work together to vindicate henry yeah <laughs> it, it, a it's a way.
1: weird it's a weird thing in tudor popular perception that you know even i i Go to Hampton Court on a regular basis. I love Hampton Court. But there is, like, sometimes Henry is made almost into this, like, big goof. Right, He's silly, almost, and not acknowledging how much really of a psychopath he was that, you know, he, especially in his later years, that he did become very paranoid and he did become very woke up one day feeling something and woke up the next feeling something completely different. And it is sort of a weird thing that we make him into this like epitome of Englishness and English history is like Henry VIII. And it's well, yeah. And it is a really defining feature. It's also like, let's not glorify him yeah. too much. <laughs> like yeah. he is a little over glorified at times and over vindicated that it's You know, all the other people around him were manipulating these things. Mm -hmm. You know, Thomas Cromwell was in charge of Anne Boleyn's downfall. It was his fault. He manipulated it. You know, Norfolk manipulated Catherine into her position and then abandoned her when it came out that these were parts of her past. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's always... While Henry is usually in the game, it's someone else way more powerful i mean even wolsey in his early years it was all him like he was the one doing all of these things And it's like very rarely is it's like well no henry had to sign these death warrants like yeah. henry i mean especially for the Anne Boleyn, like Thomas cromwell most likely got a go ahead from henry on yeah. these things like i don't think he would have had the audacity to go behind his back and try to blacken Anne Boleyn's name without some indication from henry that he wanted this to happen yeah which is exactly why when catherine had her downfall no one went and told him in person like there is this sense of like you need henry's approval before you blacken his wives names yeah but if he's all for it you've got to go ahead you can do anything you can bring out any sort of thing from left field to try to demolish these women but he has to be on board yeah (laughs) like you can't surprise him or else all hell could break loose, which it did in the beginning did, yeah. with Catherine, until it was proven that it was true. But it is, it's is—it's a weird, yeah, like, happy-go-lucky Henry yeah. thing in most fictional portrayals. Mm. Um, I mean, I think Philippa Gregory refers to him as a psychopath sometimes, but... There's its own issues with her portrayal of the yeah. Tudors, <laughs> so that's its own podcast. Yeah, um, especially her portrayal of Catherine Howard. Mm. My God, it's pretty rough. But yeah. you know, it is it is true. It's interesting. Yeah.
0: Maybe that's a, another episode for another day of <laughs> yeah, exactly. the Tudors in general. Absolutely. Uh, no, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming on of the course. podcast. It was it was great to have you here and a fascinating conversation about Catherine Howard. And as always. Uh, make sure to use this episode as a stepping stone to continue research into the fascinating history of this country. This is not the ultimate final word on the issue. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is very much a, a doorway through which to walk. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to follow us on all social medias to keep up to date with everything we do. And we'll see you next time on the Present History Podcast.